God knows more people. John, he flunked choir, so. <laughs> he said, I got kicked out of choir. Oh, yeah, we, we all <laughs> Yeah, they all quit.
seated. Good morning. Welcome. We're glad that you are here today. Uh, I perceive that it must be spring break. <laughs> yeah, I got an amen from the youth corner back there. <laughs> it is spring break and many of our people are traveling. Uh, we welcome you. Boy, our, our choir is slim this uh, morning. You're welcome, choir. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but we're glad that you're here today and we welcome you and, and just pray that God's going to bless in a very great way today uh, as we worship God together. We welcome our guests especially this morning and hope that you'll feel very much a part of us as we worship God together. Just a few announcements I'd like to call to your attention. First of all, I'd like to remind everyone of our, of our attendance sheets and uh, ask if you would fill that out as and give us as much information as you feel comfortable giving, giving to us there. And especially if you would like to receive our email newsletter that comes out every Thursday, give us your email address and we'll be sure to get you on the list for that. Um, and that will give you uh, an opportunity to see every week the opportunities for worship and fellowship and ministry and service that we have uh, here at Community Baptist Church. I would remind everyone... Um, Again, today of our uh, Sunday school competition, uh, that's, uh, we're in the middle of that. Uh, we're going to go through Easter with our Sunday school competition. I think today all of the Sunday school classes were down because of our spring break. A lot of people are out, are out of town. But next week, let's pick it back up again, and we'll be competing against each other for uh, a dinner together. And... Um, and we hope that you'll get uh, get everyone back in Sunday school next week where they belong. This is the season of Lent, and as you know, uh, one of our, the things that we do in our community is have a Lenten lunch series. Uh, we've had it here. Uh, we've, they've had it at First Christian and at Presbyterian Church last week. We're having great attendance at these. This week, uh, the Lenten lunch will be at First United Methodist Church at 12 o'clock on Wednesday. And so I hope that you'll come and be a part of that on Wednesday. It's a, it's a wonderful service, a wonderful time of fellowship and worship together as, as the body of Christ, not only here at Community Baptist Church, but all across the community of Henderson. So we invite you to be a part of that. Uh, also on Wednesday night, we will be having our Bible study on Wednesday night, but we will not be having dinner this Wednesday because of... Uh, uh, because it's spring break, a lot of people will, will not be here, so we will not be having dinner on Wednesday, but we will be having our Bible study at 6.30. So you can either eat before or eat after, or you can bring a sandwich if you want to at 6.30. Whatever you want to do, that'll be fine. Uh, one other thing I'd like to call to your attention, uh, the Kentucky Baptist Fellowship will be meeting on April the 29th and the 30th. Uh, uh, the, it'll be meeting this year at Butchel Park Baptist Church in uh, Louisville. And I plan on attending uh, this, this uh, series of meetings and services, and uh, I'd like to invite you to come along. So if you would like to be there, there's a Friday and Saturday. If you would like to attend the uh, uh, Kentucky Baptist Fellowship on April 29th and 30th, please let me know, and we'll be sure to make arrangements. We can drive up together and, uh, and uh, make arrangements together. And uh, so, so please let me know if you'd like to go on April 29th and 30th. We're glad that you're here today, and God is in this place, and God's Spirit fills our heart with love 
and with joy, joy to see each other in the name of the Lord. So let me invite you to stand and express that joy to each other by shaking each other's hand and extending the right hand of Christian fellowship. Terry and I are going to do an old hymn for you this morning. You're welcome to sing along if you know the words. It won't be up on the screen, but I think you'll recognize it. Are we on? I don't know. Are we Guitar on? on? Can you hear me now? Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior. And life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Through death into life everlasting, He passed and we follow Him there. For us death no more has dominion And more than conquerors we are Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in His wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. His word will not fail you, He's promised. Believe and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying. Perfect salvation to tell Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in His wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim 
in the light of His glory and grace. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And all God's people say Amen. Come on down, children. Terry's going to meet you down front here. I'll take it. Did you know I was going to have so many whenever you set me up for this? Thank you. <laughs> How y'all doing this morning? I got to hide behind this thing. I don't feel comfortable without it. We're going to talk this morning about fear. Do you know what fear is? You don't. Well, you know, there's a lot of people that say they're scared of the dark, but I don't buy that. I think they're scared of what might be in the dark. You know? I mean, if you walked into a room, light was on and all this kind of stuff, light went out... All of a sudden, you might be scared until the light come back on and you say, no, ain't nothing in here. Okay. Well, um, I lost my train of thought here. <laughs> if you were to walk out, okay, let's say you go into the zoo and there's this bear in his cage. You could get as close to him as we are right now, couldn't you? You wouldn't be scared of him, would you? If you walked out in the yard and there was a bear sitting about this close, what would you do? Yeah, you guys ain't fooling me. I know. Let's see if this don't sound familiar. Mama! That's what you do, wouldn't it? Yeah. And she'd wrap you up in her arms and she'd hold you real tight and then she'd run toward the house. You right? Well, do you think... And, I'm, and I just got to thinking about all this. Do you think maybe Jesus got a little scared there for a little bit? Just a little bit? So he went and he was praying. And he said, you know, Father, if, if you can make this, you know, cup pass from me, I, you know, is this the only way we can do this? And then he went back and all of his friends that was with him there waiting for him to get arrested, they was all asleep. They weren't even sitting with him. He said, oh, man, I'm all. So he went back, and he prayed again. And he said, Lord, Father, it's not my will. It's yours. Just give me the strength to get through this. You know, it hadn't been too long ago I had similar experience to where things started going wrong, and then they went wronger. And I prayed. I said, God, I know you told me that you won't give me more than I can handle. But I don't think I'm as strong as you think I am. 
And then I got to thinking about Jesus praying that your will, not mine. So I went back and I said, Lord, okay, just give me the strength to get through this. And I made a few phone calls and, you know, it didn't seem as bad. So after I did that, I, I would I'd like to share a little bit of a, that prayer that I prayed. I'd like to share it with you if I could. Here I am, where are you? I have questions, quite a few. I'm tired of waiting for a better day. I am weak, but you are strong. I've been holding on so long. If I doubt for just a moment, would that be okay? I'd need relief. Help me with my unbelief The feeling that I feel It's really only fear Haven't felt it for so long Not since you first drew near What has caused this distance? Have I fallen from your grace? Wrap the light of your love around me. Chase the darkness from this place. Here I am calling to you. Could you show me what to do? I'm just tired of waiting for some better day. This will pass is what you've said So Father feed me with your bread Hold me close, it's in your arms I long to stay I'd need relief Help me with my unbelief It's really only fear God will help you put that bear back in that cage. All you have to do is ask him. He may still be there, but he'll at least be where you can handle it. Thank you guys for listening. This morning is taken from Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go tell that fox, Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today, tomorrow, and on the third day I'll finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
a city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as hands gather her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jerusalem had a long history of misunderstanding and rejecting the ways of God. God had sent God's messengers before, and they were usually scorned, rejected, abused, and sometimes killed. Why would this time be any different? Yet Christ's response is not that of anger, but of pity. All I ever wanted was to love you and to shield you under my protective wings, but you would have none of it. And so I come to you to join the others whom God sent, to be rejected and scorned and killed. We extinguish our fourth candle today, recognizing that another step is taken towards Jesus' destiny and in repentance, because we know that there have been those times in our lives when all God wanted to do was to love us, but we would not let him. Please join me with our scripture, re- scripture reading today out of the book of John, verse, um, 11, verses 1 through 16. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, through Jesus, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. After having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judah again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble, because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble, because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Please pray with me. Dear Father, as we continue through the Easter season, please remind us once again of our life priorities. Just like Thomas said to his disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. 
Remind us to always keep you as our first priority so that we may see what an honor it is to live in your world. In your name we pray. Amen. gracious and kind heavenly father lord we bow before you this day father thanking you for this day we thank you for this church and the people of this church father that we stand committed together father 
Father, we ask you to bless these tithes and offerings that we can take them, Father, and go out in this world and proclaim your name, Father. Father, bless this service. Bless Brother Tim as he brings the message. In your name we pray. Amen. This is one of my favorite songs because it's not only a song to me, it's a prayer to me. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me
Thank you so much, John. What a wonderful song. Have, have you noticed that pirates have been back in the news over the past several years? I'm not talking about the romanticized pirates of the Caribbean or anything like that, but real-life pirates in places like Somalia, desperate, violent men who have garnered ransoms of millions of dollars by taking hostages from ships. If I were to ask you today to name a famous pirate from history, who would it be? Not a fictional character, but a real pirate. Blackbeard. My guess is that many of you would probably come up with the name Blackbeard the Pirate. Blackbeard was a notorious English pirate who operated around the West Indies and along the eastern coast of, of America during the early part of the 18th century. But there was an article in the American History Illustrated magazine a while back that punched a few holes in the reputation of this well-known buccaneer. Apparently, as pirates go, Blackbeard, the alias for Edward Teach, was actually not that special. He amassed very little treasure and showed very little daring. In fact, he tended to prey only on small defenseless vessels where the plunder was puny, but the risk was almost nil. He was neither invincible nor difficult to capture. The truth is that the authorities made little effort to even bother with him. And compared to, to more accomplished pirates, it could be said that Blackbeard was kind of a joke. However, Blackbeard was a great cultivator of his own fame. He spread stories far and wide about himself. He composed what would be the equivalent today of press releases about his exploits that made him seem larger than life. And, and so his, his name survives even today when greater pirates have been forgotten. Blackbeard worked very hard, not at pirating, but at publicity. And so we still remember him today. He knew something that many celebrities also know. You can manipulate your image. You can be famous just for being famous. And you don't really have to accomplish anything. You, you only need to find a way to keep your name in the press. You know, I, I was thinking about this when I was thinking about the Apostle Thomas. I wish that the disciple Thomas had a better press agent. <laughs> because, you see, Thomas became very well known in history because of one tiny episode in his life. He gained a reputation, a tarnished reputation, if you will, that has stayed with him for over 2,000 years now. In the Bible, he is called Thomas, or Didymus, which means the twin. So apparently Thomas had a twin brother. But when we think about the apostle Thomas, what name do we immediately think of? What name immediately comes to our minds? Yeah. Doubting Thomas. That's right. 
Each year on the Sunday after Easter, most pastors who follow the lectionary will tell the story of Doubting Thomas. And three weeks from now, we will do that, that very thing. We're going to be talking about Thomas again three weeks from today. That's why today's sermon is called In Defense of Thomas Part 1. You'll see Part 2 on the week after Easter. But this poor disciple's reputation extends even beyond the church. Even in our secular society, when someone is dubious about some kind of claim, that person is apt to be called a doubting Thomas. And I wonder, has anyone in our scripture been so universally and in my mind so unjustly maligned than Thomas? We may think of Judas or the betrayer or or Pilate washing his hands of his responsibility for Jesus' death, but, but they stand justly accused. But Thomas, please allow me this morning to come to Thomas's defense for a little while, to seek to reverse the reputation of this unjustly accused young man. I will attempt to do so today, and I'll try to do it again in three weeks on the Sunday after Easter. But today, I would like to rename Doubting Thomas to this. Daring Thomas. Daring Thomas. I mean, after all, his reputation for doubting is based on one very brief mention towards the end of John's Gospel. But today's lesson takes place earlier in that same gospel, and it too is only a a brief mention of Thomas, but this passage clearly shows that Thomas was more daring than he was doubting. I suppose the reason we so rarely notice this passage, this more positive picture of Thomas, is that it's contained within the story of the raising of Lazarus, which is such a powerful story that this brief mention of Thomas is barely even worth noting. When our story opens up, Jesus has just learned that his friend Lazarus is very sick. Lazarus lived in a village of Bethany along with his sisters Mary and Martha. Bethany was a small village about two miles outside of Jerusalem, very close to Jerusalem. When Jesus receives word about Lazarus, he is nowhere near Bethany. But it's evident that Mary and Martha want Jesus to come and to heal their brother. And yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. But finally he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Well, the disciples didn't think this was a very good idea. The last time Jesus was in Judea, some some of his enemies had tried to stone him to death. His teachings got everybody in an uproar. And, and there were some very powerful people there who would, who would not rest until Jesus would be silenced forever. And so when Jesus announced that they should return to Judea, his disciples protested, but Rabbi, just a short while ago when you were there, they tried to stone you and, and, and yet you're, you're going back there again? So Jesus answered that their friend Lazarus had fallen asleep and that they were going to make this dangerous journey to wake him up. When when the disciples obviously didn't understand Jesus, he explained that Lazarus was actually dead. 
but he was going there to be with him. And so at this point, one of the disciples stepped forward and challenged the rest of the group. And he said, let us also go so that we may die with him. It was our friend Thomas who spoke out with so much daring and with so little doubt. Thomas was willing to die for Jesus. So why do we insist on calling him Doubting Thomas? We'll deal with that the week after Easter. But today I want us to celebrate our newfound friend, Daring Thomas. You know, it's always thrilling to meet someone who is genuinely committed to Jesus Christ. There are so many people who bear the name of Christ, but who would never even think of dying for him. There's a a cartoon character named Pontius Puddle. And uh, there's one cartoon in which Pontius is sitting in church. And Pontius is is very much like you and me. He has good intentions, but he's, he's not exactly ready to set the world on fire for Jesus, you know. And in this particular cartoon, the, the cartoonist de- depicts Pontius's style of worship with a takeoff on the lead-in to the, the old Superman television show. You remember the one? Well, some of you may not remember because it was before your time. The, the one way back when, when I was a kid. Here's how it goes. Applied to Pontius. Puddle. Able to drop a quarter into the offering plate without embarrassment. Capable of waking from a dead sleep and finding the right song in the hymnal. Look, out in the sanctuary, it's a teacher, it's an usher. No, it's pew potato. And then it cuts to Pontius Puddle snoring away in his pew. You're familiar with the concept of a couch potato, I know. Well, this is how one observer describes a pew potato. A pew potato wants to be cared for, but does not know how to care for others. A pew potato wants to be visited, but never visits. A pew potato wants the benefits of a Bible study, but leaves the work to someone else. A pew potato catalogs the mistakes of others, but misses his or her her own mistakes. A pew potato has not only forgotten what he or she used to be, but has also lost sight of what he or she could become. New potatoes become pew potatoes, says this observer, when they stop growing and just vegetate. I've known a few pew potatoes in my time, haven't you? You know, I heard about a pastor, I think I mentioned this um, a few weeks ago in our Bible study, I heard about a pastor where, uh, whose daughter came up to him one day and announced that she wanted to go to Uganda to be a missionary. He told her that she couldn't go because it was a, such a dangerous place. And he explained to her that Christians were often persecuted in Uganda. And he suggested that she could find plenty of missionary work right here in their own town. But two years later, she still resolved to go to Uganda. And so he finally relented. And and as he went to the airport to see her off, he made the comment that he had wanted her 
to be a respectable Christian, not a real one. Do you see the distinction here? Many of us, if we were honest, would probably have to confess that we come closer to the profile of being a respectable Christian than a real one. Sacrifice and commitment are really not a part of our vocabulary. Not really. A few years ago, Rabbi Jan Goldstein had the opportunity to meet with the widow of the former president of Egypt, Anwar Sadat. You may not know this, but at the beginning of Sadat's presidency, this Egyptian president had championed war against Israel. He was a part of that destructive cycle of hatred and bloodshed that has surrounded the Middle East for so many decades now. And, and then, but then one day, Anwar Sadat decided to become a peacemaker. He wanted to break down the walls of violence and misunderstanding between the Egyptians and the Israelis. And, and he knew that members of his own political party would probably try to kill him in order to stop the peace process. Well, Mrs. Sadat recalled the day when Anwar told her that he was going to Jerusalem to negotiate a peace settlement. She protested that his enemies would kill him, but he replied, then I will die for peace. His trip to Jerusalem was an historic moment. It opened President Sadat's eyes to the possibility of a, of a peaceful future between these two countries. <coughs> Mrs. Sadat says that when he came back from that trip, he was energized and full of joy. But not long after that, he was, he was assassinated. You know, it's sad. But that sort of thing happens in the real world even today. It takes people who are really committed to peace. Committed to justice. And with regard to Thomas, really committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ to make any real difference in the world. So let me ask you something this morning. What is it that you are really and truly committed to? For what or for whom would you be willing to die today? And that's not an easy question, is it? Not if we take it seriously. Not if we really consider that question. What are you willing to die for today? Those of us who are parents would probably answer our children. Most of us would give our lives to our children or for our children. You may be, may be able to identify with a woman named Paula Chicon of Tempe, Arizona. A few years ago, Paula was on the board uh, Northwest Airlines Flight 225, which crashed just after takeoff from Detroit Airport, killing 155 people. There was only one person that survived that crash. It was Paula's four-year-old daughter, Cecilia. News accounts say that when the rescuers found Cecilia, they didn't, even, they didn't even believe that she had been on the plane. At first, they assumed that she had been a passenger in one of the cars on the highway onto which the, the airplane had crashed. But 
but when they checked the passenger list, Cecilia's name was there. But Cecilia survived that plane crash because even as the the plane was falling, her mother unbuckled her own seatbelt, got down on her knees in front of her daughter, wrapped her arms and her body around her, and would not let her go. It seems that Cecilia survived that crash all because of her mother's love for her. And you, you and I can probably understand that. Those of us who are parents would gladly trade our lives for our children's lives any day. But besides your children, who or what would you be willing to die for? Some of you would say your, your country. And of course, there are men and women even today who are offering up their lives for their country in places like Afghanistan and, and, and Iraq. And we salute them for that. We, and we pray that they will be returned safely to us. You know, patriotism is such a powerful emotion. Evangelical researcher George Barna says that more people in this country are willing to die for their country than for their faith. They view themselves as Americans first and Christians second. And I have to say as a pastor that that concerns me. As a Christian, I don't think anything should ever come before God. But I understand it because patriotism is such a strong emotion and and it's a noble thing to die for one's country. But what is it that you would die for today? Does Christ come first in your life? Would you be willing, like Thomas, to die for Jesus? Now be honest. Some people who bear the name of Christ won't even get up out of bed on Sunday morning to come and worship Him, much less die for Him. So how about you? Well, Here's the good news for today. You and I will probably never be asked to die for Jesus. But we are asked to live for Him. So you can relax. Chances are you will never be asked to give up your life for your faith. Not in this century, not in, in this country, not in this place. It's, not, it's just not going to happen. But we are asked, no, we are commanded by Christ to make our lives as a living sacrifice for Him. Will you go that far? Will you put Jesus Christ first in your life today? Man joined the Navy, and soon afterwards he had had to attend a wedding, so he asked his commanding officer for a pass, and he was told that he had to be back by 7 o'clock on Sunday evening. And the man protested, but but you don't understand, sir, I'm in the wedding to which the officer replied, no, you don't understand. You're in the Navy. <laughs> the point is that when you make a commitment to the armed services, it takes priority over the rest of your life, for all, over the rest of your commitments. And guess what? That's the way it is when you make a commitment to Jesus. Every area of your life will be affected by that commitment. And Thomas had that kind of commitment. 
I see Thomas as an enthusiastic, willing young man who was passionate about serving Jesus. Jesus was returning to an area where people were threatening to kill him. And Thomas responded, let us go too, so that we can die with him. My friends, that's not the response of a doubter. That's the response of someone who is daringly committed to the cause of Christ. And that's a great example for us, isn't it? Soren Kierkegaard once said that this age will die not from sin, but from a lack of passion. Well, not if Thomas is an example. He was a man full of passion. Three weeks from today, we'll revisit Thomas and try to determine if there was something that robbed him of that passion. So stay tuned for that. But on this occasion, when Jesus was going back to Judea where his life was being threatened, Thomas was more daring than he was doubting. And that continued to be the case throughout the rest of his life. You want to know what, how, Thomas, how Thomas's life ended? Here it is. Thomas became a leader of the early church. Just like Peter and Paul went to Greece and Rome and Mark went to Egypt and Syria, Thomas made it all the way to India. In fact, there are burial remains in churches in India named after Thomas and inscribed with his landing there in 52 A.D., commemorating his missionary work there before he was later martyred for the cause of Christ when he was stoned to death and stabbed with a lance. The oldest of India's churches ascribed their faith to the work of Thomas. That's who Thomas was. And I hope there's a bit of daring Thomas in you today. I hope there's a bit of daring Thomas in me. Because, my friends, our faith is not to be taken for granted. We wouldn't even be here today if earlier generations of Christ, of Christ followers had, had taken their faith for granted. And so for the sake of the generations that come after us, we must never take our faith for granted either. It must take priority over everything else in our lives. We must work diligently for its continuation and growth. We must be a living sacrifice for the sake of the, of the gospel. For that's the kind of commitment to which we are called. We will probably never be asked to die for Christ, but my friends, here is our challenge for today. We are asked to go forth from this room today and to live for Jesus. That's our challenge. So the question is, can he count on you today? Are you willing to give Christ your all? Amen. We're going to sing today, number 489, Lord, I want to be a, Christ, a Christian. These are some hard-hitting words that I've been speaking today. These are some challenging words because, you know, sometimes I feel like we're guilty of uh, 
making the Christian commitment too easy and not really taking it really seriously. But that's never the intent of Christ. Christ's intent was that we take it very seriously. And he warns us to count the cost before we make that commitment. And it is a commitment. And it costs us something. It costs us our time and our energy and our efforts and our money. And every part of our lives is affected by our commitment to Jesus Christ. But that's the commitment that we are called when we are called to follow Jesus. And that's the commitment he invites you to today. If you've never made that commitment to Christ, we invite you to do it today. And it's not going to be easy, but I'll tell you what, it'll be blessed. Because God loves you and God will be with you every step of the way. And God, as we make that commitment, God is asking us to live every day for him. And that doesn't mean we're going to live perfect lives. None of us do that. But we'll live forgiven, forgiven lives. And we'll live lives focused on the ways of Christ and trying our best to live the way Christ called us to live. If you've never made the commitment to Jesus Christ, I hope you'll do it today. Maybe you're looking for a church home to be a part of and become a member of. We invite you to come and unite with our church as we seek to to do our best to be God's people. Not perfect, but we try our best. Maybe Maybe it's just prayer that you need today. We invite you to come and we'll pray. If God's dealing in your heart in any way, we invite you to come today and make this commitment to Christ as we sing, Lord, I want to be a Christian. Would you come? You have sent your spirit to make Christ known to us and to dwell within us. We have come this hour to set our minds on the things of the spirit and to know the life and the peace that is possible only through the strength of your presence. We have opened our hearts to your 
regenerating work. And now, may we leave this place and live for Christ in our homes, in our work, in our school, and in our recreation, and in all that we do. Amen. I'm waiting for